Amen. Well, I saw uh, quite, a new, quite a few new faces today, so let me introduce myself. I'm Andrew, and on the count of three, you're going to tell me your name, and then uh, I'm going to remember it. One, two, three. I know the three that actually participated in that, the rest of you. We like to have fun here at Greater Life Church. We like to be serious at Greater Life Church. You know, the Lord has created us uniquely to have a spirit of joy about us. And I strongly believe that when I go to church, I want to walk away from church feeling like I've been in the presence of a God who has joy, an abundant joy. Amen? I, I don't want to go into an experience, and I don't want to walk into a room uh, that, that <laughs> frankly, feels like a funeral. Listen, Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. Amen? So listen, today we're going to get into the last in the sermon series called Never Normal, Becoming Like Jesus. Never Normal, Becoming Like Jesus. I want you to think about this one concept, this one word, the word focus. We live in a day and age, and especially today, and if I just want to be honest with you this morning. I've been a little bit sad here lately, and I'll tell you why. My heart has been heavy because I feel that our nation and even the world's morality, you follow me, is now beyond repair. We, we, we live in a day and age in which evil or sin, as it's clearly recognized in Scripture, is celebrated as something to be proud of, as something to be celebrated. And I've gotten myself in such a place where I just feel disheartened. You know, and I understand it's important to have a burden for the lost. It's important to have a burden for our world. It's important to have that. But frankly, I've just felt like, wow. Jesus, come quickly. This busted up world we live in is only getting worse. But the Lord showed me something this morning and reminded me at least how Jesus must have felt when he came to this world. You see, we live in a day and age where, yes, it's e there's evil on, uh, rampant and there's, there's such hate and such division and, and, and such celebration of evil. But the Bible has prepped us for this. It's said that in the last days, people will call evil good and good evil. You know, the Scripture answers the questions before we have it. And I wonder what it was like when Jesus came into this earth. When he showed up in the flesh and his biggest resistance was the ones that called themselves holy, the Pharisees, the religion. He had to address that spirit of religion. He had to help those people. Those precious people that had no eternal life. They had no salvation. The people that he would interact with. All they did was carry around the guilt 
of the legalism of the religion that they found themselves in. So what happened is people ran and they worshipped idols, which expected nothing from them. Because they couldn't handle the religion. Am I saying throw out religion? Yes. That's what Jesus said. This, the, the, you're, you're putting burdens on people that they cannot even fulfill. Extra stuff. Who, who came up with all these great ideas that you're putting on the people? They cannot even carry these things, Jesus said. And yet Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And so when I think about my focus moment, my moment lately, it's been on how bad the world is. I wonder what it was like when God made a perfect world. And he looked and he said it was good. And then he made man and he looked and he said it was very good. And no sooner was creation completed that Adam and Eve had the idea that they want to be like God. And they want to break the one thing that God told them not to do. You know, I'm a parent of three children, but I'm also a son. And while my children were much better than I was growing up, in my mind I had this idea that when, when you tell a child, and if you've experienced this, then you can relate. When you tell a child, for example, don't, don't, don't step off of the stage. Just don't do it. Don't you step off that stage. I'm not going to tell you again, don't you step off that stage. I'm not. <laughs> don't you back away from the stage. Don't you step off the stage. Right? I mean, I wonder if God had that sense of frustration. Like, really? One tree! Out of thousands and millions, I don't even know. One stupid tree, and you got to eat that tree? But I love, I don't love, it's frustrating, but I love how no sooner did Adam and Eve get caught, and God showed up, and he said, Adam, where are you? Um, the woman you gave me. So what was he saying? Really, God, this is your fault. I mean, you know. You know, there's a passage in Scripture that Jesus said that he knew the heart of men, and therefore he didn't accept what was going on. He knew that men were busted up. And then, well, Eve, well, the serpent... And the blame game began in that moment in the book of Genesis, and it hadn't stopped since. And we find excuses for our behavior. And we find a pass for us getting by with being a little less ethical, moral, holy than what God has called us to. You see, our focus moment by moment is a challenge because it's our mind. How many of you guys have a hard time focusing at all 
Anybody ever have a hard time focusing? We, today, man, I'm telling you, I know what y'all do at home at night. Y'all are watching TV, some kind of streaming service, Netflix, whatever, what have you, and you got your phone out, and you got your iPad, and you got your laptop. And if any one of them stop doing what you're doing, then you're completely bored out of your mind. You're focusing on too many things. You know what? We need to reset and reconfigure our mind to become more like the mind of Christ as the scriptures say. We want to have a renewed mind. Amen? And I'm not talking about all the devices. So what? Play with them. But at the end of the day, if you can't live without it, it has become a... Come on. I worked with someone some years ago when the iPhone came out and she said that right there is the beginning of the mark of the beast and I went ow you're stupid look at this I mean but at the end of the day it consumes us doesn't it and then when we don't have it we start Is somebody texting me right now? I don't like Facebook. But I'm on it. And I don't mind the fact that I could get on it. I used to and just scroll through. Just lackadaisically and just chill and just scroll through. And whatever came up, came up. You know, I'd see, oh, yeah, okay. You know, oh, yeah, okay. But now Facebook feels the urge to notify me every time you do something on your Facebook. Anybody else having that problem? I don't, don't tell me. Let me find out on my own. It's another distraction. It's another thing that pulls us away from what our focus should be. We live in a time and age that we have seasons. Listen, there's seasons for learning, our school age. There's seasons for family, marriage, and children. There's seasons for career and pursuing wealth. Some of these seasons overlap. We could even say some of these compete with one another for our attention. But it boils down to our focus. The word focus is defined as the center of activity, attraction, or attention. What consumes you? What does your activity revolve around? What attracts you to pay attention? All of us in the room today can testify that our world screams for attention. Screams for attention. Every day we have challenges. We have to make a choice on what we give our focus to. You have the opportunity to choose what you will pay attention to. It's yours to give. And when you give it away to something that really doesn't warrant your attention at all, then you are giving away something very, very precious. Because when you're giving your focus away to something that the enemy is trying to get you to pay attention to, that means you are denying paying attention to what God has called you to focus on. Today in this Never Normal series, Never normal, meaning, guys, that we in the room today, assuming 
two things. Number one, that there are believers in the room. As a believer, you're called to be never normal. You're called to be different from the world, to be in the world and not of the world. There's got to be something different about your life. Because if there's not, then why do you need Jesus? If someone's not noticing something different about your life because you're a follower of Jesus, then what's the difference? That's why we talk about never normal. These seasons of life, we've got to keep our focus on the right thing while accomplishing the mission that God's called us to. The salvation of the world and most directly the cross and the resurrection that brings you and I the opportunity to be saved from our sins. The best way that we can find our focus is to concentrate on what Jesus focused on. Today, we have four things on your note sheets that I'd encourage you to take note of. Listen, I realize, I I know, that if I talk to any one of y'all five minutes after service, and y'all come up to me and say, assuming that anybody says this, I'm not, you don't have to. Hey, it was a great sermon, Andrew. I said, oh, really, what would you like about it? What was your favorite part? I, you know, I, you know, I don't remember any of it. <laughs> but I was awake most of the time. So I, I realize, I realize that this, this isn't something that you're going to remember all of it. But I want to encourage you. Take it in and allow it to minister to you. Preachers deal with this uh, insecurity that you don't remember their sermons. Other preachers, not me. (laughs) There's this this insecurity around that, that, that they don't remember anything we said. But the thing is, is it's kind of like eating. We're here today to grow in relationship with God, right? And in the and part of doing that, we are sitting at the table of God's word and taking taking this together into our spirit. So I want you to look at what Jesus did. Let's apply it to our lives and see if we can make it go as we leave here. The bottom line is everything that we talk about has got to be applied somewhere in your life. Because if it's not applied, then what, what are we doing? Right? Number one, Jesus, Jesus focused on preparation. Preparation. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, I'll be reading off and on today. Jesus focused on preparation. Go ahead and write those two things down. He built a team and he built a trust. He built a team and he built a trust. John chapter 1, verse 35, it says, The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked, say looked, at him and declared, look, say look. There is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Look, focus. In an instant, John the Baptist said, look. Bring your attention, bring your focus to Jesus who was walking by. And when John pointed his followers to Jesus, they believed and they began to follow. That is focused. Verse 38, Jesus looked, say looked, around and saw them following him. What do you want, he asked them. 
Jesus' focus now is turned to these followers, and he begins to focus on what they need. In building a team, Jesus knows that he's got to intentionally focus on who he's putting around him. The Son of God, fully man and fully God, while here upon the earth, focused on building a team. Focused on who was around him. Who's around you? Who's influencing you? Who are you influencing? Listen, if you got a bunch of junk around you, you need to change lanes. It's the idea that you get in traffic. Guys, I know. You get in traffic, and that lane's moving a little bit faster. And you get over, and then what happens? Oh, my gosh. Every time, it's just it's the curse of traffic. And you move up. You know, sometimes we don't just need to change lanes. Sometimes we need to get off the highway altogether and try something different. Amen? You've been trying and trying and trying the same thing on your own. And Jesus is calling and say, follow me now. Try a different way now. Focus on what I'm calling you to as opposed to what you want to do yourself. Verse 39, the, uh, he asked them, they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus said in verse 39, come and see. Moving down to verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. He focused on what John said, the calling. Then Andrew brought Simon to Jesus, to meet Jesus in verse 42, looking intently. What does looking intently mean? He was focused. Looking intently. Has anybody ever looked at you intently? Did it freak you out? What are they looking at? I'm gonna... Don't make me come over. Jesus looked intently at him. Why? This hit me this morning. This is new. This morning it hit me and I was like, wow, that's really cool. Because when Jesus looked at Simon intently, what did he say? He said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means rock. Jesus was looking at Simon intently. Why? Because Jesus' focus was not on what was standing in front of him, but the potential that he had. When Jesus looks at you, he sees what you're called to be, not what you are. And what you are doesn't scare him. Oh, that, that needs to be said again. When he looks at you, he is not intimidated by your nonsense. Oh, you don't know what I've been. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. I don't want to know. Don't come at me after church and tell me all of that. Please. Pastor Victor is here for counseling if you need. <laughs> Tear all of that out. <laughs> Listen. Jesus looks at you and he goes, oh my goodness, this person's really bad. The woman caught in adultery, literally caught in adultery, was dragged before Jesus naked, drug her out of the home, drug her away from the act, threw her in front of Jesus naked. Did Jesus say, oh, 
I'm shocked. No. He took a knee. And he got down beside her. Because he began to see what she could be. Not what she was. I am so thankful that in my lowest moments, Jesus still looks at me for what I can be. I'm so thankful that Jesus looks intently at me even when I'm distracted and not focusing on him. Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. He built a team. John chapter 2. He took his team to a wedding in Cana. He took his team to a party. Weddings in those days lasted for days, sometimes weeks. And he took his team to this party, this wedding. In John chapter 2, we see the story of him at the wedding enjoying a party, just hanging out. And then we see Jesus with his followers, with his disciples. They run out of wine at the wedding. And then his mother comes to him in verse 3. The wine supply ran out of the festivities, so Jesus' Jesus's mother told him they have no more wine. Dear woman... That's not our problem. <laughs> Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. Listen, Jesus knew that his ministry was to begin miraculously very shortly. His time had not yet come. But when mama asked him to do something, I love what Mary did. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. And then she walks away. <laughs> He's got you. <laughs> it's the handoff. Hey, how you doing? This is Jesus. Do what he says. Ma, wait. And the servants are standing there. What you want from us? What do you want us to do? So Jesus tells them, fill the jars with water. And then you know the story. Many of you do. But what happens is, is the water turns to wine. And as a result of this miraculous sign in verse 11... In Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. He built a trust in that moment. The second thing that happened is he went into the temple in John chapter 2. The Bible tells us that he went into the temple and he made a lot of noise. Verse 13, it says, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem in the temple area, and he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, doves for sacrifice. And he also saw dealers at the table exchanging foreign money and specialized coffee. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's why we have it in the great room. Not, in, not anyway. <laughs> Jesus... Listen, listen to this, catch this. Jesus made a whip. Made a whip. No. Oh. <laughs> but not a, okay. Jesus made a whip from some ropes. <laughs> you think he was frustrated? This is me thinking Jesus got frustrated with the state of religion. They have officially made this about them, not about God. 
when church, religion becomes about a man, run. Run. When it becomes about money, run. Listen, it takes money to turn the lights on. But when it's about money, you better run. Our missions budget, we've already given away double what we planned on giving away for the whole year. This place is not about money. But we want this place to be about God. Amen. Hallelujah. He made a whip from ropes. And he drove out the, he drove out the sheep and the cattle. Poor sheep and cattle. They didn't do any. Anyway. Scattered the money changers' coins all over the floor, turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold the doves, he told them, get these things out of here. He could have said, get out of my house. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then, catch it, he built a trust. His disciples remembered the prophecy from scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. You see, they're beginning to trust in Jesus. His focus was on preparing for what the Father had assigned him to do here upon the earth. Built his team, built a trust. We go down to verse 21 when Jesus said this temple, he meant his, he meant his own body, and after he, was, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered. I love that it says that twice in that passage of Scripture, that the Holy Spirit reminded his disciples of something that was prophesied, something that was said, about who Jesus was, built that trust. Number two, Jesus focused on evangelism. Underneath that, you're going to write Nicodemus and the woman at the well. In John chapter 3, we see the story of a Pharisee named Nicodemus who came to Jesus. And in John chapter 4, we see a woman at the well that was approached by Jesus. Now, I could preach sermons all day long about both of these. But what I want you to see is two things. One thing about each person, Nicodemus came to Jesus, and Jesus was ready. And the woman at the well, Jesus went to her, approached her, and Jesus was ready. You know, Jesus was an evangelist. He shared the good news. The good news was about him, about salvation, about the Messiah. But Jesus was ready when somebody came to him, and Jesus was ready to go to somebody. He went to someone that no one else would talk to, the woman at the well. And the person that everybody thought was too important and had it all figured out came to Jesus. Listen, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter where you land on the spectrum of having it, quote, unquote, figured out. You need Jesus. You say, I look at it this way. You know, the woman at the well, she didn't feel like she was even someone that could be saved, someone that could uh, walk in this salvation experience. She was surprised that Jesus was even talking to her. And Nicodemus, his, his personality, his situation was the fact that he had everything. But there was still something about Jesus. Number three, Jesus focused on miracles. In verse 23, we read in, in chapter 2, because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem, Many begin to trust in him. And we see him go straight into evangelism. And in verse, uh, in chapter 4, 
we see now Jesus focusing on miracles. In chapter 4, we see him healing an official son. I love, I love what this says. Jesus focused on miracles. Verse 43 says, At the end of two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. He himself had said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown. Yet, the Galileans welcomed him. For they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover and had seen everything he had did there. As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana where he had turned water into wine. I want to, what I want you to see is that one miracle made room for more. That the miracle of the wine opened the door for other miracles in that area. It built faith. How many of you guys understand that when there's a healing in our church, when something happens, I'm thinking of uh, Sandy Stevens, a precious lady who had a stroke, and, and, and everybody was like, oh my goodness, she's, she's, she's never going to be the same. Well, she's a little more honoring now, but she's the same. <laughs> Amen? Where you at, Sandy? God touched her in a miraculous way. And how many of you guys know that builds our faith, so now we're ready. We're ready to see more. We're ready to see God do greater things. Greater things. He focused on miracles by healing the official son. I love how... Jesus sent him and said, the Lord will be okay. And then they traced it back and said, when did Jesus say he would be okay? About one o'clock in the afternoon. That's when he was okay. I, I love how we're, we're so surprised. We should be. We should never lose the awe of, of seeing God do miraculous things. But aren't we supposed to pray expecting? Aren't we supposed to pray expecting God will do it? And, but some, so many times we pray, and then a couple days go by, and we get a call, or we find out that something miraculous happened. What? You're kidding. Did we pray about that? Let's pray expecting for God to move. And then when he doesn't, we still trust him. If we only loved God because of the miracles that he did, then that's conditional right I believe that we should give him as much as we can a love that isn't based on how much is in our checking account a love that isn't based on our emotions of the day we, we, he deserves it and we don't and he gives us that kind of love amen number four Jesus focused on his mission mission in Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. What do we mean? First of all, he focused on his destination. His destination. Where was he going? Well, he was going to Jerusalem for the ascension, as the scripture says. But what else was going to happen there? In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7, Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I've set my face like a stone. In other words, I'm determined, focused, determined to do his will. As I know, I will not be put to shame. What waited for Jesus? Death on the cross. And yet, even knowing that he was going to face that, 
he was determined and focused to follow through on that mission. We, 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 we make light sometimes of, of Jesus being fully man and fully God. He was fully man, which meant he grappled with this. Why in the world would he sweat blood when he was praying for the Father to take that cup away from him? If there's any other way. Has Jesus experienced stress? Yes. Well, I've been stressed lately. I've been working ten and a half hours every other day. I got to go back to the office. You know, they no longer can work from home. My life is falling apart. I'm stressed. You may be stressed, but Jesus knows where you are. Can I tell you something? When you start focusing on what, on who Jesus is and not who you are, you'll feel the stress kind of melt away. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't. You can't, but he can. He focused on his mission by focusing on his destination. He focused on his duty, which was to go to the cross to pay for your sin and mine. And to rise again so we could experience his presence and his power today. Your focus is directly connected to the voice that you listen to. I want to ask you this question. Who are you giving permission to speak into your life? Who are you listening to today? In 1 Kings chapter 22, we see the story of two kings, the king of Israel named Ahab and the king of Judah named Jehoshaphat. This story hit me like a ton of bricks when I read it in preparation for this message. It boils down to this. The king of Ahab was listening to the wrong voice. King Jehoshaphat was listening to the right voice. In this passage, I won't read all of it, but there was a time of peace in Israel and, king, and the king of Israel... Ahab went to King Jehoshaphat, which was in Judah, and said, Listen, there's a town that I'd like to recover that belongs to us, to Israel. Will you help me? And Jehoshaphat said, Yeah, man, we're allies. How it used to be between Canada and America, I imagine. I don't know. <laughs> At the end of the day, he said, Of course I'll help you out. But then Jehoshaphat, in verse 5, listen to this added but first let's find out what the Lord says I can picture in my head Ahab I can picture him responding really because in verse 6 he says so the king of Israel summoned the prophets about 400 of them is that enough and asked them should I go to war should I hold back? They all replied, yeah, go right ahead. The Lord will give you a great victory. But Jehoshaphat asked, catch this, is there not also a prophet of the Lord? True God, right? Here? In other words, who in the world are all these people? Is God not the God of Israel? You know, the God of Judah, God of Israel. Is there not a prophet of the Lord? And listen to what Ahab says. <laughs> the king of Israel replied to Jehoshaphat, Yet yeah, there is one more man who could consult 
the Lord for us, but I hate him. He never, I'm going to say it like he said it. He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. You see it? And <laughs> Josh, that's like, yeah, we'll get him. That's not the way a king should talk. Yes. He never came in. That's not the way a king should talk. Let's hear what he has to say. Listen, the story goes on. This prophet who was a prophet of the one true God comes in and says, <laughs> the Bible tells us that he comes in and says, yeah, go ahead, you'll win. It says it. But Ahab figured out he was being sarcastic. And Ahab said, come on, tell me the truth. He said, yeah, you finna die. But Ahab still chose to listen to the 400 idiots instead of the one who was speaking for the one true God. Who are you listening to? The 400 idiots that you watch on the news? Or the one true God that says, be not afraid? Or the one true God that says, I am with you to the end of the age. Andrew, who are you listening to? The headlines that says immorality is at an all-time high, abortion is killing millions, and they've got all these kinds of problems in the streets and, and disrepair and division. Andrew, who are you listening to? Are you listening to that or are you going to listen to the one true God that says, when you see these things begin to happen, look up because the time is near. Hallelujah! Jesus is coming soon! I've got an exercise for you. Here's the application this week. When you wake up in the morning, take 15 minutes. I'm going to make this doable for you. Don't worry. You can still drink coffee. But leave that phone off. Just do it with me. I'm, I'm doing it with you. Leave that phone off for 15 minutes. And say, God, what do you want me to focus on? What are you calling me to today? Holy Spirit, what do you say to me? Let's all do that together this week. Can we do that? I just pray and believe that if we'll give him those first 15 minutes and leave that stupid phone off, well, what if I'm on call? So? What, what if I have to go to the bathroom? <laughs> hey, I'm practical. So? Give God just 15 minutes every morning for the next six days. And next Sunday, let's see what's done in your life. I would even take it a step further. You know how Apple tells you if you got an iPhone, your screen time went up, went down? You're going to get that notification at some point next week. And I'm going to believe that it's going to say less. Amen? 
because my God can work miracles. <laughs> he can raise the dead. He can give you 15 minutes of peace in the morning. Amen? When you're sitting there, I don't know what to do. You know, meditation got a bad rap in the 80s and 90s because people felt like if they were not thinking about anything or they weren't doing anything, then the devil would be able to get a, a, a foothold. Listen, I'm going to tell you, if you're a child of God, the devil can't touch you. So you sit there and meditate upon the Lord, and he will renew your strength. Amen? Bow, bow your heads with me. Jesus, help us to focus on you and on what you've called us to this week and every week. God, use this message to stoke us towards being the, what you've called us to be. Lord, may you continue to look intently at us, seeing our potential. May we submit ourselves to your will for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.